Hello, and welcome to Mental Health Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Lang, and I'm here with Dr. Mark Burton. In this podcast, we will talk about all things mental health. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey guys, Liz Lang here with Dr. Mark Burton, and this week we are going to get into people pleasers. So this episode stems from a Facebook video that I sent to Mark, and the title of the video was called Toxic Empaths, and we're going to get into what toxic empathy supposedly is, if it's actually a thing or if it's just pop psychology. I have a real problem with it, so we can wait. I'll go into it. Just the okay. naming, but okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this guy, he's probably an influencer, and this is probably good for his good for his ratings. I will post a link to the video in our show notes so you can watch it because he does bring up some valid and important points in terms of the dynamics. Of- That's true. I I agree with the things he brought up. I just have a problem with the toxic empathy. Yeah, label, yeah. label toxic empathy. Yeah. Yes, and label it's it's really it's semantics, really. Mm-hmm. But right. you know, words matter. Right. Well, that's when I saw it. I thought, well, that, he's just talking about people pleasers. Although I don't, and I don't know if he uses that term. Do you remember? Does he use that term? Mm-hmm. In the, I don't think he uses the term, but I think that's what he's talking about. So that's yeah. why we titled our episode "People Pleasing." Yeah, well, and people pleasing is very common. It, it is, and it is a problem. So it is. I don't, I don't want to detract from what he's trying to say. Yeah. I just, you know, that whole idea of influencers, one just goes right over my head. I mean, I understand there are a lot of them out there. And I think he he's probably needs a catchy phrase, maybe, to, yeah. you know, to, to call his uh, episode. So, yeah. And so, again, like it's, you know, what he's saying is important and the dynamics specifically that he's talking about is important because what he's talking about is problematic. Yes. So I thought we could start with kind of talking about where people pleasing stems from. And so we all have a psychological need for acceptance, right? Because we are social creatures. And so we need a, some sort of a social network and we all have this need to feel a sense of belonging somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Or acceptance for who we are. And so I think yes. that here are some things that could underlie the people pleasing. I think the f- first one maybe obvious is poor self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And so I think that for self-esteem, I think I've said this before, that I think of it as an internal barometer that we have of how we think the world sees us or how, you know, how they experience us. And so if we think that the world sees us, you know, in a positive light, then our self-esteem is generally higher. So you can think of it as internally motivated or internal that you get it from, you just have it inside or external validation. So internal validation or external validation. And I think that what happens often with people pleasing is you go overboard, essentially, to try and meet the needs of others and I think often or maybe always at the expense of your own needs. And the goal is that external validation so that you feel like the other person is holding you in high esteem. So I think yes. poor self-esteem is one. Being insecure is another. But I think those are, to me, poor self-esteem, insecurity, they're really close together, I think. Perfectionism, which is okay. one we don't often think about, but in a certain families of origin or even there are certain spiritual traditions, 
where the idea of being perfect is important Mm -hmm. and the idea of service is important. Mm -hmm. And so I think in your, in the person's quest to fulfill that, I don't know if it's a requirement to fulfill that part of the the religious or spiritual tradition, then they kind of go overboard. Yeah. They lose themselves. And, you know, I have certainly heard people talk about it and think that that's actually the way we ought to be. Mm. is you know we lose ourselves in serving others i i think serving others is important yes i don't think we should lose ourselves though i agree and having been in a religious culture there's definitely this idea that you know it's a saying forget your troubles and go to work if all you can focus on is just what's going on in your life and just all your own negative well, put that aside and try to focus on somebody else try to better somebody else's life there's merit to that There is. I agree with that to a point, you know, there's merit to it. Exactly. But I mean, you know, at the same time, if you are constantly focusing on other people's problems and trying to help other people's problems and never solving any of your own problems, right? it's also that old saying, you can't give from an empty cup. You can't give from an empty pitcher. So if you don't take the time to fill your own pitcher, you can't give to other people. You can't help other people. And so, you know, I think you need to take time for yourself. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about self-care. And also something that we've said before is we really like balance. Balance is yes. really important. And yep. so, you know, like you said, it is important I, to to serve others. And it's very, I think, community involvement is really great. Giving to those less fortunate than you. These are all good things. But you can certainly take it too far. Yeah. And, so, you know. So, so I think making it simple. I think it probably comes mostly from family of origin. Yeah. How we're brought up and how we get that validation from our parents, possibly mm-hmm. teachers even. But I think it's mostly about that, that we want to be accepted for who we are, our authentic selves, not what we can do for yeah. others, mm-hmm. which, which is, is important to do for others, but that's not how we should feel acceptance. Yeah. Which is why there's this push in parenting to focus on kids, like when we're praising kids to focus on their effort. Right. Yes. Right. Rather than saying, Oh, you're so smart. Yeah. yeah. Say something like you worked really hard and I'm proud of your hard work. Yes. That, you know? That's always better. Yes. And again, because you're not always going to be the smartest person and you're not always going to be smart about something. Right. But you can I mean, always work hard, but you can always work hard. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so I, I think that's really what it, it stems from. And honestly, I'm, just because you once said to your kid, oh, wow, you're so smart or you're so good or you did this. I promise saying that to your kid one time hasn't ruined them because right. I, I, <laughs> I I was told those things as a child, things like that as a child. And I mean, I, I turned out fine. You know, and on the flip side, I was I was a people pleaser. I was very much a people pleaser or. I desperately wanted to fit in. And so I remember. Can I ask what the context was in which you were a people pleaser just your whole life? Or when you say you wanted to fit in? In school. Oh. So when I was in the fourth, when it, towards the end of fourth grade, we moved to a different school district. And I, so when I started school, this group of girls kind of, I can't tell you why. And they kind of flocked to me 
And in uh-huh. hindsight, it might've been, and they invited me to play softball and it might've been, I really, I was really bad at softball. And I think that bugged them. And so they kind of turned on me and they bullied me. They did some, they really did some kind of cruel things. I think they told my mom or they told me wrong games. They tried to hide my glove. At one point they, they tried to keep me from playing because I mean, I was, I was bad at it and I was probably bringing down the whole team. I was probably making them lose wow. anyways. I mean, and, we were in fourth grade. Right. And so I spent years trying to figure out where I went wrong, trying to figure out how to get these girls to like me again. And I would say for probably at least two years, I wanted desperately to fit in with these girls. And I wanted desperately for these girls to like me again. And, you know, from then on in any circle that I was or any circle that I found myself in, I wanted people to like me. It was important for people to like me. And so I would mimic personalities. So, wow. you know, I, I, I really would. And so, yeah, so I, for, and I mean, I did this for years and I still catch myself doing it sometimes. If I spend a lot of time around somebody, I notice that I'll start to mimic a lot of their nuance. Like I'll pick up on their nuances and I'll start to talk like them a little bit, right? Almost right. like personality mirroring. And yeah. it's not something I do consciously, you know, and in my mind, and maybe it, it, in my mind, it could be this way of, I just want to be accepted. I want to fit in with this person, or it could just be because I'm jiving with them. I'm maybe mirroring them anyways. So. Well, it's the strength. I, th- I think it speaks more to the strength of the wiring in the brain. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean that's, you know, uh, experience is what wires in our brain. And so you're an adolescent mm-hmm. and which is, you know, your, your brain's still wiring at that point. And so you want to be accepted. You're feeling insecure about the relationships. I mean, it makes sense to me that you yeah. still do it at times. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. You, you know, it's certainly, I think what I'm hearing is it's not the way it was back when you were an adolescent, but it still surfaces sometimes. And it probably surfaces annoyingly if you, when you're feeling a little bit insecure. Yeah. I, I mean, if I think about it, it, that that could very much be the case. Yeah. It's usually when I hit a certain point in a new relationship, like a new friendship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is usually when I hit it. But for a long time, I was very concerned about what people thought about me. Very, very concerned. What And people liking me was important. It was very important for people to like me and accept me. And what changed that for me was getting married. So when I got married, I, I had Curtis's acceptance, like full and complete acceptance. He accepted me for who I was. And it really freed me to just be myself. Getting married was very freeing because I all of a sudden didn't have to worry about people liking me because I had one person who I could trust and who I had a secure relationship with. So if, but if you think about it back in adolescence, Mm -hmm. that's kind of a a goal for all adolescents is to be liked by everyone. And that's what we want. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. Is acceptance. And so I think the problem is how do you move out of that once you become an adult? And for you, it was you know, getting married and, and having that total acceptance from someone else. And so I think hopefully most of us move out of that, uh, yeah. phase, but some people don't. Yeah. But I, I certainly know there are people as an adult who they're, they're, they're people pleasers. And yeah. so, and, and that's what this guy was talking about. And so you mentioned early on about people, people pleasers are people who it's so important for them to be liked that they will do anything to try to make people happy. And they put the needs of everybody else above their own. And that is what this guy called toxic empathy. Yeah. So here's my problem. Okay. (laughs) Let's hear it. 
See, I, I think empathy, I, I think we don't have enough empathy. Okay. In, in the world. I think we need more empathy. And I would never, I don't know that I would, maybe anger can be toxic. I was just thinking about other emotions that might be toxic. I don't think empathy can ever be toxic. You're okay. Because you're having an emotional response. And what he's talking about is the behavior. Oh, you make a good point. They're, they're separate. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think he's confusing that. Well, actually, I, I listened to it a couple of times, but in my mind, he's confusing the emotion with the behavior and they're really separate. So I think you can have a lot of empathy. In fact, I, I think we need to cultivate empathy for others. But then the behavior is different. Mm-hmm. Now, he, okay. I think he talks somewhere in there about a narcissist. And so that, again, to me, is a separate problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't, in my mind, doesn't have anything to do with toxic empathy. I think it has to do more with the person who's the narcissist. And narcissist yes. is so good at the charming. And it's, I'm going to use a word that's often used with child sexual abuse, grooming. I think they mm-hmm. groom people, okay. not for abuse, well, for emotional abuse, mm-hmm. I think. And so they're really good at making you feel really wonderful. And so you're, you know, they draw you in and then they, it's almost like they start feeding on you emotionally. It's like emotional vampires is what it is. But again, I don't think that has anything to do with empathy at all. So, So if you take a relationship, you fall in love with someone. And they're charming and and this person's a narcissist and you don't realize it. Most, Mm -hmm. Most people who, uh, who I see who end up marrying narcissists and they come in, they really don't realize it because they fall in love. And nar- I think narcissists are really good at making people fall in love with them. Mm-hmm. And then it shifts around and the narcissist then becomes that emotional vampire. I, I think they call it the narcissistic feed where then the partner has to do everything for and build up the narcissist and, that, I think, is what this guy is talking about, how it ties into his idea of toxic empathy. Mm-hmm. But again, it doesn't make sense to me. The behavior is bad. Yes. Behavior is a problem. I don't think it has anything to do with empathy, period. Right, exactly. And I I think it has to do more with the fact that narcissists probably love people pleasers. Because oh, sure. Yes, because it gives it, it feeds them. Oh my gosh. You know, it's like this constant flow of that emotional blood. Exactly. Well, because narcissists, they want that constant validation and they want people doting on them and they want people trying to please them because that feels good to them. And people pleasers want somebody that wants to be pleased. Right. And so it's almost like mutual destruction. Well, Well, so it feels good to the, the people pleaser at the start. Yes. But then I think that I think for most people, they wear out. And at some point, and I think this is especially true in a marriage that I've seen before, I think it can go along at some point. And then, uh, you know, if you have kids, it totally changes yeah. the issue. But you want something back yes. at some point. And at that point, you're too far into it. And the pattern is too ingrained mm-hmm. that it's almost impossible for you to get anything back yeah. from this yeah. partner. Yeah. And because you've gone too deep into it. And so you're you're left with really poor choices because you can stay in the marriage and keep doing what you've been doing as far mm-hmm. as that people pleasing. But that says, you know, for the rest of your life, you're not going to be fulfilled in, at all. And you're just going to be constantly giving and never getting. And that's a problem. 
it, yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, I marriage, we've talked this idea before, you know, marriage really needs to be as 50, 50 as it can be. Mm-hmm. And it's not always going to be because, you know, there's going to be days where your spouse can only give 10% and that's yeah. the best that they can give. And as a loving and caring partner, you should give that 90% that day. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but if you're constantly giving that 90%, you can't, that's just not sustainable. Right. And, you know, and, and that's the problem in, and that's any relationship has to be like that. And so I agree with you that it's what he's talking about is behavior and Mm -hmm. not the emotion. I think that is an important distinction to make the difference between emotions and, and behaviors, because, you know, you can say, Oh, you know, somebody is fearful. Uh Well, can they really be fearful? Because fear is an emotion and fearful is an act is an action. Does that make sense? Well, I think that what they're talking about is fear does change our behavior, but it tends to paralyze us. Yeah. It makes it so we can't take any action. And that's probably what they're they're probably describing the state of someone who is stuck. I think often when people are stuck, there's they're fearful. Yeah. And so you know, I, I think that's an important distinction to make. And so, but again, he makes a really good point that if you keep putting everybody else's needs before your own, then you're not going to have any, eventually you're not gonna have anything left to give. You can't be your best self. And so I don't think we can talk about this topic without talking about moms because that struggle is so real because moms genuinely have to put the needs of their children before their own. Yes, I really need to eat, but I have, you know, four other people or three other tiny people that can't eat, right? And so, right. but up to a point, Liz, I think. No, I mean, you're right. And, you're and right. So if you if you think about like the first year of a child's life, that's absolutely true because they can't do anything. Mm-hmm. But you know, as the child grows, and the the idea is that you help the child to become self-sufficient. But you know that there are, so there are mothers out there who don't let their children become self-sufficient, right? Yeah. And they are, I just heard a story from someone and I think this, oh, okay, this kid's going off to college. Uh Uh-oh. And and this is not a client, this is just a, a family that I know. This kid's going off to college. His mother still lays out the clothes his clothes every night on his bed. So this kid's got to be 18 or 19, graduates from high school. He's going to go off and live in a dorm. He'd had no idea. I think he had no idea how to uh, work a microwave. So, (laughs) but so do you see that you take take it to extreme? That's not toxic empathy. That's just poor behavior. So if you're one or two, then yes. But then you slowly have to start shifting. I think it's good for the kid as they get older Mm -hmm. to to realize at times mom matters too. Yes. (laughs) And that you can wait, uh, you know, it's okay. Mom's doing something else. But so there are some mothers who don't ever pass beyond that. Anyway, that's the most extreme story I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, Well, or kids that go to college and don't know how to do their laundry. Yeah. Yeah, laundry or you know how to how to handle finances, money. Yeah, um, and so I'll, I'll go out on a limb here and make a guess. I think it's more often males who mm. are in that particular category who don't know how to do their laundry or cook because their mothers have done it for them. I would yeah. guess that culturally, I think we probably spend more time 
teaching young women uh, how mm. to get along in the world. Yeah. Which I just, no, it's not going to work. <laughs> no, no. And so, um, I mean, you're right, but uh, about mothers and yeah. you have to give your all. But again, I would never label that toxic empathy. <laughs> no, no, no. But um, I'm, but, no, but, but you know, the, it's a good point because it's empathy. I, I think it's the empathy. The empathy is being able to put yourself in the other person's emotional state, which is exactly what attachment is. So yeah. attachment with a kid, with a small child, is you're really using your empathy. I hear that cry. And so you're putting yourself in that place. What am I going to do for yeah. that child? That's attachment. Mm-hmm. And, and so that is all about empathy, I think. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, Curtis and I were never cried out parents. You know, we couldn't handle it. And so if my baby cried, I went to my baby, you know, as much as I could almost every time. Mm-hmm. But that's draining to be yeah. doing because you are you are momming 24 seven. It's hard to get a break. And so, you know, that's why it can be so difficult for mothers. And so that's why we talk, you know, this idea of you can't give from an empty pitcher. Well, no. your pitcher also isn't going to do any good if there's a hole in your pitcher. <laughs> and moms are really good at getting holes poked in their pictures because it's such a demanding job. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it is so important to take time for yourself. And so I'm going to reference our recent episode that we did self-care. Uh-huh. And, you know, and I've heard moms say before, I don't have time for self-care. You've, You've got, got to have time for self-care. Even if it is just 15 minutes, mm-hmm. even if you sacrifice 15 minutes of sleep, for a little bit of self-care, you're going to sleep better, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I want to I want to answer your question definitively. Toxic empathy is not a real thing. <laughs> it's no. a made-up yeah. term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, people pleasers. Is, oh, that's a real thing, but it's not a. I mean that. It's a behavior. It's describing behaviors more than anything. yes. And so I think that's probably the biggest takeaway is it's important to distinguish behaviors from emotions because I don't think it's possible to have too much empathy, but you can have empathy for somebody and recognize there's nothing I can do to help this person, but I can be there for them emotionally. And so, and that's another thing that uh, I think is worth talking about is, or maybe kind of where I went to when I first heard toxic empathy is this deep need to help ease somebody's pain. And I felt that where somebody's telling me a hurt that they're going through, and I want so bad to take away their pain or to help ease their burden. And I, you want to do something and, you know, you have to recognize and step back and realize you can't take away the pain. You can't take away the hurt, but being there, being there with them and just kind of holding that emotion and just validating them. That's oftentimes enough, just letting them lean on you emotionally. Right. And so I do work with couples all the time. Usually it's typically it's the husband who wants, like if they see that their wife is sad, so the mm-hmm. wife is experiencing this emotion, they want to take that away or make her not sad. And you can't yeah. do that with anyone. You can't change the other person's emotional state. Mm-hmm. It's up to the person to do that. And so yeah. all you can do is be there and, and be supportive. Yeah. Men want to fix things. Yeah. And which, I mean, that's stereotypical, but But it doesn't doesn't work long-term in marriages for like, if I'm trying to fix my wife all the time, then eventually she feels less than because somebody has to fix her. 
Yeah. When she can fix herself, that's what you want to, to be able to do. Yes. And so, well, and, and that's a skill that I think a lot of men need to learn is yes. it, it's a skill that I had to learn. It's that I don't need to solve people's problems for a long time. When somebody came to me with a problem and they wanted to talk about their problem, I'm like, I'm going to come up with a solution. I'm going to find something. I'm going to say something that's going to fix it. And it's going to make their life better. Yeah. And, you know, over the years, I've realized that I don't need to fix their problem. Like, I no. don't. Well, I, don't you, need... I think you can't. Exactly. I can't fix their problem. Sometimes life just sucks. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it sucks when bad things happen and you can't take it away. But what you can do is you can sympathize or empathize with them and say, you know, that's that's awful, man. That that sounds terrible to have to go through. Yeah. And then all of a sudden this person is thinking, well, thanks. Yeah, it, it feels good to have somebody validate and to, somebody to acknowledge that what I'm going through is hard. And it took me a long time to figure that out because I wanted so badly to be helpful. I wanted so bad to be able to, to help somebody who was struggling. And I wanted mm -hmm. to help that person that was hurting that it took me, you know, years to realize that I can't. And that was a painful lesson for me to learn, for me to come to this realization of I can't fix people, you know, mm -hmm. but I can sympathize with them. I think maybe we ought to talk about briefly, what do you do if you're a people pleaser? How can yes. you move beyond that? Mm -hmm. And I think there are two main things and we probably won't, you know, we don't have time to go into a great deal, but first I think you need to figure out what's underlying the drive mm -hmm. to be a people pleaser. Is that insecurity? Is it the low self-esteem? And uh, often you don't need to do this, but often it's helpful to be in therapy. You know, if you go in very specifically to say, this is what I'm dealing with, then a therapist ought to be able to help you really focus in on that. So that's just the talk therapy and that's just the insight part. Mm -hmm. But you have to change behavior. And so I think, didn't we do a, an episode on boundaries? Or is it, I mean, we've talked about boundaries a lot, but. Um, yeah, we talked, oh yeah, we've done a couple of It's all episodes. about setting boundaries. Okay. Is what it is. Someone comes to you and said, I really, I really need help moving, you know, this weekend. Well, if you honestly can't do it, either, yeah. you know, you have something else, then you have to be able to set the boundary and say no, or learning how to say no, which is really hard yeah. for people pleasers to mm -hmm. learn how to say no. And so I think it's all about boundaries. I think boundaries make for really good relationships. It's my favorite word. Yeah. Like King Jess always used to say that, that mm -hmm. uh, my favorite word is boundaries. But I think it really is helpful, but a lot of people don't know how to do it. Or I think probably more realistically, they're afraid to do it. They're afraid. Yeah. Like if I set a boundary with you, you may not like me, or at least mm -hmm. that's my fear. Yes. So yeah. it goes entirely against what the people pleaser is trying to achieve mm -hmm. to, to be able to do that. That's why I think if you're going to work at setting boundaries, you need to have the insight to yeah. understand where does this come from and what's driving my behavior. So I think those are the two main things that people can do to pull themselves out of that. But I think ultimately they'll be happier. And here's the other thing. In a relationship, if the person isn't okay with you taking care of yourself sometime, mm -hmm. that is not a good, healthy relationship. And yes. maybe you shouldn't be in that relationship. Yes. Or maybe the other person should work on changing as well. Right. And well, and then you need to have that conversation. But again, right. it's for a people pleaser, it's going to be hard. That's hard. And I want to acknowledge that, that, you know, we often talk about things like that. Well, if you want to change this and you just need to do this and it's easier said than done. And so I want I to think acknowledge we both realize it's hard. 
I, yes. I certainly acknowledge that. Yeah. And and because it's a process, and mm-hmm. you know, and and processes take time, and so you know, I think the other thing is, you know, you need to another good idea is to work on self acceptance. Yeah. Of you know being yeah. more accepting of yourself. So you know, and that kind of goes back to self esteem is because it's so important for people to like you. Well, ask yourself, do you like yourself? Do you like who you are? And if you don't like who you are, either find out why or find out how to get to a space where you do like yourself and just be okay with who you are. You know, know, that self-acceptance, I think, is really about shifting the validation from external to internal. Okay. That is what you're doing. Okay, with that, yeah. I want to give just a, a brief idea, maybe for someone who's who's thinking, okay, I want to learn how to set boundaries. I think if you go about it and think about all the boundaries I need to set, that's going to be overwhelming. Yeah. Pick one, pick one person, and pick one thing. Yeah, that you would be able to set a boundary around because typically in our relationships with other people, there are. Uh, events or behaviors that tend to recur, uh, you know, they're recurring. And Mm -hmm. so you can probably say, okay, I know this friend, or I know my partner is going to ask this or ask this, and I want to be able to set a boundary. So pick something specific Mm -hmm. and something that's doable and just start there and get some success with one thing about setting the boundary, which then lets you know you can do it in other contexts and with other people. That's yeah. how I would go about doing that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Baby steps or baby one steps, step. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What about Bob? Baby steps. Yes. So, you know, one step at a time, you mm-hmm. don't make these changes overnight or in a day mm-hmm. or oftentimes even in a couple of days, it starts just a little bit at a time. Yeah. You know, and so, and you're going to have setbacks. I think that's the other thing. And and this is another trap that I fell into was this all or nothing thinking. Oh, you know, I messed up in my goal. I'm just going to give up. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just a setback. It's a setback. And also maybe the goal's too big. Yes. And I think it's really important to break goals up into doable parts. Yeah. And so I remember when I kind of changed that mentality and, you know, this kind of goes back to people pleasers and ties into that idea of perfectionism. You know, I think this all or nothing thinking, it it really ties into this. If you can't do it perfectly, why even try? That's not a very healthy mentality. Right. And this is a bit of a side, but so the reason when you say to a child, you're so smart, that's actually the end result often is Mm -hmm. the, Kid wants to be a perfectionism. If they can't get the A, then they yeah. don't try. And it's either the A or they get the F. Yes. And you see that all the time. Whereas if you focus on effort, then the kid is okay with whatever's in between. Yeah. Because, the they, the yeah. because they worked hard. Right. And so it's not about the A. It's about working hard. And it mm-hmm. totally changes how they do in school. Anyway, that's... Be- but but you're right. And this goes down to building a self-esteem and right. not being a people pleaser is you need to learn how to fail. It's yeah, important because it's, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's 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 important for kids to learn how to fail. It's important for kids to know that you're not always gonna get it right the first time, but you yeah. need to keep going. You know, it's okay to struggle, it's okay if something is hard. How are you going to handle it? All right. Next week we are going to get into addiction recovery. So speaking of 
taking small steps. Addiction yeah. recovery is a lot of really small steps. So, uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's going to be a good episode, and we will see you all next week. Have a good week, everyone. Have a question for Dr. Burton? How about a topic you'd like us to cover? Send us an email at mentalhealthpod21 at gmail.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Liz Lang. Music is by Audio Lounge. 